Hello, and welcome to Enlightened Empaths, your community for the spiritually awakened. Today, we are so lucky and blessed to welcome Megan Corcoran to the show. Megan got her certification for crisis and trauma intervention in 2008 and was a volunteer first responder for sexual and domestic violence victims in the emergency room at Mount Sinai Hospitals in New York City. Megan has seen and mentored for over 150 cases and received the Lydia Martinez Multidisciplinary Award given by the New York Alliance Against Sexual Assault and Joyful Heart Foundation for outstanding service as a volunteer advocate in 2011. Megan created The Divine Self in 2019 after three years of extensive research on narcissism and surviving a very serious domestic violent relationship where she almost lost her life. Megan has become an expert on trauma bonding and helping survivors of narcissistic abuse and domestic violence break the cycle of abuse and live a happy and fulfilling life. The Divine Self started as a YouTube video that quickly blew up to a coaching business for Megan. Megan just launched her podcast, The Secret Garden, to dive deeper into the topic of abuse and empowering survivors to begin to explore their toxic relationships with narcissists. Welcome, Megan. We are so happy you're here. Thank you. I am so excited to be here. I'm such a fan of this podcast, as you know. And, and anyone, please, please, please check out Megan's podcast because she hits on topics. But you know what I really love about you is you haven't let that hold you stuck. You haven't let what you've been through keep you on that loop tape of, of replaying. You've done your work. And I think our listeners would love that those folks that may be in a situation or have recently left a situation or trauma from other aspects, what would be some tips you would have or some some things to, to throw someone a lifeline right now? Yeah, well, I feel like a lot of that is coming up right now with COVID and people in lockdown, whatever phase they're in, whether they're still in a toxic relationship or an abusive relationship, or they've just left. You know, I think the biggest thing is it's a process. It's not an event. And once I grasped that and realized that I was going to have a little bit of a rough time for a couple of months and have to go through the process it made it easier for me because I, I kept thinking, okay, if I can just get to, you know, this phase or I can just get to the date, you know, my, my ex pled guilty or the date, the date that I, you know, I, I kept giving myself like graduation dates. And then I felt even worse afterwards because I didn't feel better. And I finally just said, okay, <laughs> I have to go through the grieving process as well as just try to process what happened. Um, when you're in, abusive relationships, I find that there's so much to unravel because you're in it for quite some time. And it's so confusing and so hard to unravel yourself out of that. And, and just more and more comes up. And even still, it comes up for me. There's times where I'm like, you know, just this morning, I was sitting in my kitchen and I remembered something. I'm like, wow, I didn't even realize I was abused in that moment too. Okay. And you just made a really, really good point because anyone who has stepped away from an abusive relationship or toxic or a narcissistic connection, it's almost like you have to rediscover yourself and figure out because you, I know from personal experience was so worn down that I didn't trust myself anymore. I didn't recognize myself. And it's a pro exactly what you just said. It's a process to rediscover your own inner strength and say, wow, it wasn't me. I was, yes. in, and, and I never, ever, ever play the victim card because I think everything happens as it's meant to. We all have circumstances. 
and I just love your opinion on this. I find that so many people, male, female, non-binary, it doesn't matter what your identification is, that end up in, in abusive situations are, are generally very strong, powerful, vivacious people. But we send out this beacon and it's almost like that that narcissistic or that abusive personality finds us and, and knows just where to get in under the, like smoke under the door. Yeah, they want what they don't have. You know, I, narcissists lack empathy, right? And we empaths have an abundance of empathy. And, you know, I really think that both of us probably, you know, the empath and, and empath slash codependent, you know, I think that there's a fine line between the two. Um, I think we probably both became either an empath or a narcissist around the same time in our life. And I, you know, everyone is like, oh, is the narcissist born that way? I don't know. I'm not a doctor, but my guess is they went through some form of trauma where they learned to just shut it down because being vulnerable was not, um, was, you know, got them abused. And, and then they had to feel some form of significance. There was probably a moment in life where they felt so insignificant that um, they just shut their empathy down. The problem is they don't change once that's gone or once that's pushed way down in them, it just doesn't, it just doesn't change. And so here we are as empaths, we have an abundance of empathy and we always see the good in everybody. And we live these beautiful, you know, with these beautiful lights inside of us and they try to take that from you. And, um, and when you're in the wake of a narcissist, it can be life-threatening and, you know, not even if it's an, a physically abusive relationship, but the stress gets so bad in these relationships and you lose yourself, you know, to the point where my therapist at one point took a look at me and she's like, you're, you're dying, you're pale, you're skinny. And she's like, you've got to find the strength to get out, you know? And I just was like, I, at that point when I, you're so beaten down, you don't, you can't see a way out. And so it's really about finding that connection with you again. And, and I found that meditation in the relationship helped me a ton, just trying to breathe and go into my body and be like, okay, I'm still here. It's still me. And, and I can do this, you know, did you find that you had a tipping point or a light switch moment where all of a sudden you realized I need to go, I need to find a way out because I think that that's usually there's some catalyst that is okay, this isn't okay. And I need to take care of myself. Yeah. You know, I had many moments, you know, one of the narcissist's favorite tools is it's called ghosting to, to say, Hey, I'm leaving you. And then they'll ignore you for days or weeks or whatever. And then they come back and the whole cycle starts over again. So I definitely knew something wasn't right. And there was, it was really after I got married and things started to get physical. And my friends, my friends had told me for years that I didn't need to be in this relationship and I should get out. But that's when I finally, my family started to believe him and not believe me. And I was like, oh my gosh, I think my life is, is threatened. And that's when I said, it's time, it's time to start working. And so I actually, with my knowledge as a domestic violence advocate, I started safety planning and actually had, was starting to plan my exit strategy. I just kept telling my therapist, I don't know when I'm going to execute it, but you know, everyone will do it on their own time. And when they're ready, and and that's really the biggest thing is just you know have grace and patience with yourself, and you'll do it when you know the moment is right, when it's safe, and when the moment's right energetically for you to do it. And that allows you to slowly start to take back your power, so that you find that strength to be able to execute the plan. 
because yes. I, I think that that's so, so very important. And I'm not saying stay in a situation if you're physically in danger or your children are in danger. I'm not, I'm not in any way, shape or form saying that, but I know from, from experience and from folks I've talked with that having a game plan, being able to work towards that, finding some supports. And if you don't have supports, finding like really that helped immensely. I think it does of knowing, okay, this is my next step. This is my next step. And, and it also brings some structure to a very unstructured situation that yes. allows you to focus. It helps you start to take your power back and your control back because, you know, the reality is you feel so out of control. You, you kind of don't have control in these situations. And so, uh, well, you think you don't, you really do. And you have, you know, it's your, your body and, um, and your, your mind and, and you think you don't have control or you can't find a way out, but you're right. It's just kind of a game plan. And, you know, part of what I used to do in the emergency room in, in New York city was to do safety planning. So I would start and we actually have a whole, list of things to just start to, to have that discussion. And I would send it home with them if it was safe to send it home with them. And I'm just saying this for people that are in, you know, mental and emotional relationships too. If you're starting to scratch your head and be confused of like, what is happening in my life? You know, I find that safety planning really, really helps. And there's so many tips and tools online about safety planning. The very first step would probably be seeing it with yourself that there is an issue. Like face it, looking yourself in the mirror and saying, okay, I need to find me again. Yeah. So I, everyone always asks like, when, how did you discover that he's a narcissist and kind of just have to understand what this is. And, and, um, I always say that if you're left scratching your head going, what just happened? Why are we fighting? What are we fighting about? Why are they so mad? And that there's never any closure to any conversation. That's, that's a huge red flag. And that's when I'm like, okay, this isn't you. There's something bigger going on and it's about power and control. And that's the one thing I can't hit home enough is people make all of these excuses for abusers. But the reality is abuse is about power and control and that's it. And they're doing that to gain power and control. And I find once you understand that, it's really, really powerful. Right. And it also... This sounds kind of messed up, but if you start watching the behaviors, you'll know how to circumvent them. You'll know how to like get around the other side of it because in some respects to get out, you have to kind of put yourself in their shoes and, and think the way they think in order to be able to step away. You made a really good point a few minutes ago about that fine line between codependence and yes. empathy. And I think a lot of people might be in a relationship or a situation with someone who has addiction issues. And it's really, is it the addiction or is it narcissism? And I think they mesh together. I think that there's, you're going to see a lot of similar behaviors, actions, and outcomes from someone who's active in addiction as you are from someone who's active in narcissism. And I think that they, they overlap. I agree. You know, a lot of myself included, a lot of abuse there is especially alcohol and or drugs involved, mm -hmm. you know, and one thing I do want to hit home is the alcohol and drugs are secondary to the abuse. Abusers choose to abuse, not because they're alcoholics or drug addicts. Um, I think that people use that as an excuse, which I did for a long time. I'm like, if only he would just get sober. Mm -hmm. And the one thing I've learned as I've kind of done this is I've actually known a couple addicts 
in my day. And they are, their abuse, their manipulation and power and control is kind of the same because they're trying to get the high. And so is the narcissist. Their high is abuse. And um, the one thing I find though, when, when drug addicts and alcoholics are coming down onto their low, they have a lot of empathy. They don't want to be this way. They'll cry and say, oh, I don't, why am I doing this? I can't control this. The addiction has overcome them, but they actually are upset and know that there's a problem, you know, but Mm -hmm. then they go and get high and then they get, you know, Mm -hmm. get angry and abusive. Um, Where with a narcissist, after you go through the abuse cycle and they come down off off of the high, they're like, well, this is your fault. You did this. There's no empathy. And it's your problem. You did this. You're, you're the problem here, not me. And that's really the difference. And you're right. They go hand in hand. So it can be very, very, very confusing. I wanted so badly for, um, you know, my ex to be an alcoholic because <laughs> I was like, cause then he can go and go to treatment and hopefully we, our relationship will work. Mm-hmm. And I had all of this hope that that would help. And finally, one therapist looked at me and she's like, regardless of whatever, you got to get out of this. This isn't healthy. And I think the number one question people ask me when they call me for coaching is, can the narcissist change? And I'm like, why are you going to wait around to find out? I, you know, Mm -hmm. and the, and, and most likely no, the answer to that question I tell people is, is, is no, they have so much work to do that. It's why are you going to waste your life away waiting for them to figure out, you know, if they're going to change or not? And I think that can get really squirrely if there are children involved. So, so many people say, I love this person. And when it's good, it's really good. And when it's bad, it's really bad. And that's such a personal decision. And and I think sometimes it's breaking perpetual cycles as well. So if you you do have children, you may be saying, is this what I want to model for them as healthy relationships? Is this highest and best for them in, in their development and their life path? Uh, the other, you know, what just popped into my head, though, is as more and more people are stepping into being okay with being empaths or sensitives or intuitives, or they're really embracing that and saying, wow, this is just me and this is the way I am. It, I think that there's an uptick with people stepping more into their narcissism as well, because this it, it mirrors the polarity, like the, yes. the dark is getting darker and the light is getting lighter. But what I love is there's more community now for for sensitives, for empaths, for people who are saying, I I don't deserve this anymore. Yes. And I when when I finally realized that that I was with a narcissist and it's so unfortunate that we throw that word around so loosely. Oh, you know, oh, he's such a narcissist. Mm -hmm. And you think of a narcissist as someone that's. I mean, they have a grandiose sense of self, but we think of someone that's posting selfies and is cares about their looks. And that is not, I mean, yes, there's a form of narcissism in that, but that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the monster that happens behind closed doors when, you know, there's this Jekyll and Hyde personality. There's, you know, I said, you're left scratching your head and you're really confused at, at what's going on. You're being blamed for everything. Um, and when I finally opened up the door and been like, oh, maybe he is a, a covert narcissist. I, I, I went onto YouTube and then I dove down the rabbit hole and then I realized they all do exactly the same thing. Every single person I coach, it's almost as if they went to school for this and then there's no <laughs> school for like this, but the way they abuse is exactly the same. The things that they say is almost word for word. And I'm like, how do they, <laughs> they, they figured this out. We've trained them well on mm-hmm. how to, how to abuse. And, um, 
And I'm like, okay, now it's time for an uprising of, of people to wake up to this topic. Because if you, you know, now it's so funny. I was right before I got on, I was, I was talking to somebody who's kind of taken this journey around the same time with me. And, you know, we, we, we laugh about when we encounter a narcissist and we see the red flags now, and then we tell the stories and it's actually funny. Some of the things that they do, but when you're in it and you're being manipulated, it's not funny. Um, but they are so over the top and so aggressive um, at their, they're coming on and they're, they're idealizing you. And so once you actually educate yourself and, and understand what's going on, you see it everywhere. Exactly. So what would be some of those phrases? What would be a couple of the phrases that might be tip-offs for people? I, the, really the blame shifting. It's your, your, you know, I got the, your 90, you know, 99% of the problem in this relationship relationships are 50, 50. And yes, you give or take percentages, like sometimes it's 20, 70, but, but you're never 99% of the problem. You're crazy. You're, I got that one shit up in your head. Yeah. And, and you don't remember what, what I just said. There was constantly like, Hey, you don't remember that. I just, that I just said that. I'm like, I don't think you did just say that. Or they would say something and then I would literally repeat it back. And then, no, I didn't just say that. Mm-hmm. You know, that's not what I said. You, you, and I'm like, no, you just, you just said that. And you must have heard me wrong. Yeah. And it's over something so silly, like washing dishes or mopping the floor or sometimes major stuff. Right. And then there would be a whole fight that happens. And then there's the, 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 I'm going to leave you. And then they leave for days. And like, it's this whole cycle um, that happens. And it's really, it's really traumatic and just nerve wracking. But it's a process. And I think that's, it's a process that wears you down over time so that you don't realize that it's become your reality until all of a sudden there's some sort of catalyst or event that's like, wow, how has this happened? Because it's almost like little baby steps and baby steps and you see a red flag and it's like, no, that's, but then by the time you're mired into it, it's so much of who you are and what the relationship is. It's not how you started out at the beginning. I've rarely yeah. have ever seen that. And I think for people to understand is, you know, I get the question all the time of why didn't you just leave? And my, my answer to that question is would domestic violence be such an epidemic if the victim could just leave? Mm-hmm. And what happens is it's called trauma bonding. And so at the very beginning of the relationship, there's, it's the idealization phase. And so if you look at a power and control wheel, whether it's the domestic violence or the narcissism power and control wheel, just you can Google it. But the beginning phase is idealization. And so they're very, very good at mirroring your insecurities and telling you what you want to hear. Oh, I'm going to marry you. I want to have children with you. You're the best person on the planet. Let's go to Paris. Let's do this. And I will protect you for the rest of my life. And, you know, and they come on very, very strong. And you think you've found your soulmate. Um, And then there's a moment where they pull the rug out from under you and you're kind of like, wait, what? And then they go back into the idealization phase. And so it's this whole, it's, it's, it's really idealization, devalue, discard, and repeat. And, you know, and there's a tension building phase in there um, before the abuse happens. But 
And so there's all these little moments of they keep pulling the rug out and idealize you and pull the rug out. And so you're, you're for, you actually are forming this addiction to the idealization and this fantasy and this facade. But the reality is they're going to mirror your insecurities in the worst way possible and use that against you. So they'll take it away from you. Oh, I, you're not good enough to be married. You're not good enough to be, a, you know, to have a baby and be a good mom, or you're not good enough now to go to Paris. And why, why would I marry you? You're not. And so they, they, they took what they did at the beginning and then turn around and use that against you. Um, and it happens so slowly, but what happens is as you go around this cycle of abuse, the idealization phase gets smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller. So they'll just dangle the carrot as much as they need to before they start the tension building phase again and go into the abuse, you know, phase of the, of the cycle. And so we stay because of the idealization and they'll tell you what they want to hear after they abuse you. And I'm so sorry. You are the best thing. I love you so much. I can't tell you how many times I went through this, this cycle and it wears you down. Oh, it wears you down. Physically, mentally, and spiritually, it wears you down. Yeah. And I mean, and it gets to the point where it gets so intense at home that you don't sleep. You're not mm -hmm. eating well. You know, I would he would trigger fights right before bedtime. And then I would be just totally rattled and couldn't sleep. And my mind would be going hundred miles an hour or right before I'd go to work and I would be frazzled at work and not able to focus. And people in my life started to, and then it plays into their story of you're crazy. You're losing it. Right. I started to look pale. I started to not be able to focus in conversations. I was crying all the time. I was lashing out and being angry at my family and my friends and I just was losing myself. I couldn't keep it together. And here they are completely put together, smiling, you know, and every, they look like the hero and that you're the crazy one falling apart. Okay. And that's another really good point is often there's a ripple effect into other relationships when you're in this type of uh, a close relationship with someone who's a narcissist or an abuser is it starts to impact your, your co your work relationships or your family relationships or your friendships or exactly what you just said everybody starts to st you start saying oh well am I reading them wrong you start double guessing your own intuition or knowing or even previous relationships ha that have been really good can start to deteriorate absolutely I actually lost my relationship with my family because chances are, you know, if you're in this relationship with a narcissist, there's some patterns that have happened in your life. And so I've now had to realize that um, this is a cycle in my life that I'm working on, um, you know, a lot of a lot of abuse throughout my lifetime. And they started to kind of feed into his story. And so he has something, it's actually called triangulation. They bring in secondary abusers to help bring in their narrative and, and convince you that you're the crazy one. And they started to believe him. So he, he idealized them and, and put them on a pedestal. And, you know, and so they, they thought he was the best thing ever and that I was starting to lose it. And that's really confusing when your, your family and friends are now telling you this as well, but it helps them. It, it makes you completely isolated. So they, and that's when, you know, you're in really big trouble <laughs> is if they've convinced your family and friends that, that you're, you're the problem. Um, and they really do that to isolate you. So whatever narrative they want to tell you, you'll start to believe. And that's when, you know, that's when things can get physical and can get almost life-threatening, you know, and that's what happened in my situation. Right. And I think that that in a really messed up way, the physical altercations and violence 
gave you something concrete to work with to get out. Whereas a lot of times people without that, it, it's much harder to validate, identify, improve emotional abuse because someone is so adept at switching up words or triangulating or convincing yourself, you, know, you, you, you don't know what you're talking about. So you start that doubt. But if there's a physical bruise or there's something you can see with your eyes or feel in your physical shell, that's such a different, that, that's huge, isn't it? It is. You know, when, when things started to get physical with me, there was almost a sense of relief. And I hate to say that. And anybody listening, if you're in a physical situation, actually in any of the situation, there's a lot of help out there, but it can be very scary because they can go into a rage and, you know, a lot of, a lot of domestic violence murders, I believe are an accident. They just go into a rage and they can't control themselves. But, yeah. um, but for me, there was almost a sense of relief because I was like, see, I told you he is a monster. And, and also there was just so much mental and emotional abuse that the actual physical abuse, I think gave me some form of chemical release that it just was like, it was almost a release. And I was able to like calm down after the physical abuse because I knew it would be calm for a little bit longer. Cause he was just, he just went into the rage. Um, and I know that sounds so, <laughs> so messed up, but it's so complex and so dynamic. Right. And you also over time get to, it fine tunes your, in, as much as it wears you down, it fine tunes your intuition and your observation skills of noticing that twitch, noticing that behavior, noticing that voice tone change that are all precursors to going into a cycle. Yes. And I think once the physical abuse starts, you're right, you tap, you tap into your intuition more because it, you have something concrete now to go with and you start to really connect to yourself. And that's when I was like, okay, you know, he had gone to my family at the, the day after my physical abuse, my, the first time he had gotten physical and, you know, they pretty much told me it was my fault and they didn't believe me. And, and then I was like, okay, I'm completely alone. And I have bruises now to prove this. And that's when I was like, I got to get out of here. I'm in big trouble. And, um, and although I stayed for a couple months and it got very serious very quickly, but, um, it's what gave me and still gives me the clarification that I made the right decision by leaving. And I hate for it to get that way. And I hope people can find the strength to leave before it gets physical. Um, because like I said, it's just so scary at that point and can, can end horribly for a lot of people. And so, you know, I guess I'm here to help people see that you can leave before it gets to that point. And it, this is a, a really important point. Even though we're isolated because of the virus or geography or whatever, there are resources online. There are resources that you can tap into. And I think the number, I think a huge thing is seeing in print or hearing someone say the words that they understand where you are. I remember living in the middle of nowhere and pulling up this computer screen and sitting there and reading this stuff and just crying because someone was telling my story. And yes. I think that that's so, so important that people can find, we can find each other. And that's this networking. That's We're really in a good place with this because we do have connection. And if you're saying, well, I don't have internet or I don't have that, find someone who does or go to a public library or go sit outside of a, a coffee shop. But there are ways that you can find people to help you. 
Yeah. And, you know, I, a lot of what I do is just try to connect people to local resources. So your local YMCA has tons of resources. Go to your local police department. You don't have to report anything, but just say, hey, I need help, you know, with domestic violence. And like, do you have information? They're not going to ask you to make a report or anything. They're going to give you the information. Go to your local district attorney's office. Those are the ones that have really, really good resources. You know, there's national, the domestic violence national helpline, you know, RAIN, R-A-I-N-N.org is sexual and domestic violence, and they'll connect you locally. So all of these resources will help find somewhere for you to go, not even have to go locally, but give you resources um, and even pamphlets. And so even when I read a pamphlet, I was like, oh, I'm not alone. I got this. And um And even though I'm a domestic violence advocate and I know so much about this, I needed to actually read it for myself as a victim and connect. And I went to a domestic violence support group and there's so many free support groups out there and talk about validation. You're all telling the same story and you're all in this together. And it's so validating. You're absolutely the poster child of meeting you, seeing you. No one would ever, ever expect you had been through those dark times because you're positive, optimistic, you, you're, I mean, you're just a wonderfully kind, open person. And I think that's an important message at all as well is this too will, shall pass. You will get on the other side of this. You will find yourself again and you are, you will be capable of having healthy, loving relationships again. So don't think that, oh, I'm not, never, no one will ever love me or I won't be enough. Or I, I think that that's so, so important for people to realize there is a light. You will, you'll come back and be stronger and happier than you've ever been before. Absolutely. And a lot of people that I coach who have left the narcissist, I won't coach them if they're still in it and tell them this. The narcissist is your soulmate. And what I mean by that is they shine a light on all of the areas of yourself that have actually held you back from a loving, caring, respectful relationship. And they shine a light on it and you have no choice when you leave them, but to work that out of your system and out of your body and change the way you look at things and the way you experience life for you to bring in your actual loving soulmate who is here and everything that you ever wanted, but you've got to do the work and that's really hard. But, you know, for me, I'm like, okay, there's a bigger reason why this happened to me and, and and I've done the work and I, I, I realized that, um, you know, in a way I was given a beautiful gift and even looking at my relationship with my family and my past, I was like, I've had to clear out a lot of beliefs that I, I realized didn't serve me and weren't true. Right. And I had to rewrite the story. So it's, and, um, it's really empowering. And it also gives you people, I I promise this, and I only promise if I'm dead ass sure, a level of empathy, compassion, and understanding that allows you to relate with people in general on more of a soul level. You you lose judgment. You lose, oh, well, why are they staying there? Why are they doing that? You you can't own that anymore because it's gone because this can happen to anyone. This isn't demographics. This isn't personality types. This isn't any of those things. This isn't how much money you have in the bank account or or what your address is. It's truly a, a dynamic. But I agree with you 100%. And I have said that to people that I couldn't be who I am now if I hadn't been through those situations. And I don't have any malice or discontent. And I'd be a liar if I say it, it didn't. It took me a while to get to that place. 
Absolutely. Me too. <laughs> <laughs> it's not like all of a sudden, la, 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 this is great. It, no, 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 no. It, it's a process and it takes time. But once you do the work and the healing, it really is an amazing, amazing place to be in your life. Yes, it really is. And um, I, I agree with you. You know, at first I was very resentful and shut down and, you know, and I'm still, I'm still working through it when it comes to my family because it's so complex and there's so many people involved that I have to work with, you know, I have to think of them each individually and what part everybody has played and how do I, you know, unlearn all of those things. But, um, you know, I forget, I think the key is, is, is forgiving. And I'm not saying pick up the phone and call your abuser and tell them you forgive them. That is not what I'm saying. I'm saying, forgive them in your heart and, and understand that, you know, when I, if I think back to what I said at the beginning is, you know, there was probably a traumatic moment or he was taught how to behave this way. I have a right. lot of empathy for him. I'm like, that's, that's a sad life. You can't connect to your own empathy and have empathy for people and that you have to go around and treat other people this way, that that's not a fun life to live. And they, they live in their own, own sad place. And so I have a lot of compassion now when I see, when I see people like that. And, and, and when I see people projecting and it's everywhere, uh, oh my gosh, that's so sad that we project and we gossip and we do these horrible things and say horrible things about people. And that's really just about us. And, um, and once fear. you see that. Oh yeah. It's, it's so fear-based. It does not come from a love-based place whatsoever. Right. And you're, I agree with you hundred percent that this is fostered often in other relationships earlier in our lives or our lack of self or our lack of self-worth or all of those things. But equally, I've seen people who seem to have a very strong sense of self. They're attractive and intelligent and vivacious who still would end up in that in those patterns so this isn't about you know that you're you're not uh strong enough or you're not um confident enough it it's just it's the it's almost like a, a homing beacon isn't it that we attract this but yes. you're spot on we learn these lessons and i i think with we're talking about the extreme of do domestic violence and it, to me, and I, please correct me if I'm wrong with this, but when we are addressing that or addressing family of origin issues with, with trauma and abuse, then it does allow us to set stronger boundaries and parameters with other people, friendships, situations, so that we're not just repeating that pattern over and over in all directions. Absolutely. I mean, I think the key to all of this is the the lack of boundaries. I was not taught how to have a boundary. The word boundaries was not in our vocabulary in my family. Um, and putting up a boundary with a narcissist will make them very, very, very angry. Um, because if you try to put one up, they will they will quickly try to overstep it and let you know that your boundary is not going to work. But if you actually hold firm to your boundaries, and that's, you know, people that have kids and they come to me for coaching. They're like, what do I do? I'm like, you have to have very clear boundaries and that's it. You know, you're drop, you stick to the schedule the court has given you for drop off. You drop them off in a public place. You don't engage with the narcissist. And that is your boundary. It, that's it. Period. Do not let them talk to you. No, not that, and, and let them know that you mean it. This, you mean business now. And for somebody like me who has no boundaries, I'm like, wait, what? And you know, but he just wants to say <laughs> hi and he just wants to do this. And, uh, 
and I even looked at this, like as things were unfolding and the, the little bit of communication I did have with my family at the beginning of the end, um, I put a boundary up with my sister. I said, listen, like if you're going to continue to engage with me, I'm in a serious situation and you can't go talk about this to the rest of the family. And if they, if they're concerned, they can call me directly. And that's the advice I give you. And that's just me being an advocate that would, that's what I, I, I know that it can be life-threatening and that you shouldn't really go talk about someone's domestic violence situation or someone's abuse situation. Um, and sure enough, she runs and talks about it. And that's just how we are in the family. We love to gossip behind each other's backs and, and not realizing that's abuse. And, um, and then she was mad at me when I was like, I told you my boundary was, you know, and I can't engage with you if you're not going to respect my boundary. You, this is my boundary. And so then of course I was the crazy one and I, I mean, and I'm, um, and so they really don't like boundaries. Not saying that my sister is an abuser. She just happened to be in the middle, but because we've never had boundaries, you know, that was, that's hard for, that's, that's hard for them. Right. But there usually is a root as to why we attract that type of personality into our lives. For Absolutely. A relationship. Yeah. And I think, I think you're right. I'm kind of, like I said, the, the person you wouldn't think I, I have a successful business. I have a lot of friends. I'm very outgoing. I studied acting in New York and I, even though I came from a background and I was in therapy every day throughout my whole life and go to my soul sisters group on Sunday. And you would think that I never would have, a, this would have ever happened to me. And I'm a domestic violence advocate and I know about it. So like I said, I, uh, and now I look back, I'm like, Oh, I was the perfect target. I, you know, for this. And it was just because my sub subconsciously, I learned a lot of, of things and patterns in my life that um, I didn't know needed reprogramming. And, and also I think being a big target like that, that's the ultimate goal for a narcissist to take someone like me down, you know, and to take my light right. away from me. Because you, you do, you shine a very bright light. You're knowledgeable. You know, the topic, you're very gregarious and outgoing. You would, you would, that would be moth to a flame. Yeah. Uh, so what, what about people who aren't sure if they're even in a, with a, a narcissist, they think they might be, they, they thinking, well, it's not that bad most of the time, but when it's bad, it's really bad. How, how can you help people find, is this something more I need? Am I on the brink of, of something? Cause I mean, we can see blatant abuse. We can see yes. blatant narcissism. But we don't always see those subtle impacts, like when we're talking about those beginning phases, but also sometimes relationships stay at that level for a long, long time. Yes. So, this is my story, Denise. I literally was like, um, is he a narcissist? Is he not? And like I said, I dove down the rabbit hole on YouTube and I was there for about a year and a half. I'm not kidding you. I would watch YouTube videos till my eyes were bleeding. Like I was in it. I was like, cause you don't know, mm -hmm. you know, I think the biggest thing is if you have to ask the question, am I with a narcissist? That's your number one sign <laughs> that something's <laughs> not right in your relationship. Um, and that something's not good. And you're going to have to go through that process. Like, and it's so funny because all of us survivors do the same thing. We all got obsessed for about a year and a half. We lock ourselves in rooms and, and we just watch YouTube videos and you learn all of the different coaches out there that are on YouTube. And we all have this community and we even have our own like lingo and like slang <laughs> and terms that we use. Um, and, um, and that you have to 
you know, you watch different videos trying to make sense and put your story into other people's story. And then, then you start needing proof. And then they, they start to do what everybody's saying on YouTube and how it goes. And then, and then eventually you'll, you'll start to get to a place where you break and you need to get out. And you're like, I'm so tired of this. Um, so it's a, it's a process. It's a long process. And I wish I had a magic pill to be like, oh yeah, he's a narcissist, but, um, yeah, are they? Yes. And women right. are narcissists as well. I actually, the majority of, of people that have reached out to me are men. Um, mm -hmm. and I think just cause we don't give men the space in this world to come forward and say, Hey, I'm being abused, especially mentally and emotionally. You're like, Oh, be a man, grow up, man up. Yeah. And they're just as devastated. And um, I'm more so because yes. there's no support in the traditional male uh, society for that, that it, it's seen as a sign of weakness or seen as a sign of uh, why are you letting her push you around kind of stuff, but people don't understand. And more and more, there are so many empathic, kind men who are going to be going through the same thing as kind, empathic women. It has nothing to do with gender or no. preference or, or, you know, it doesn't matter if you're in a heterosexual couple or a homosexual couple or a pansexual couple, it does not matter. That nope. this, is, this is as even across the board as the weather. Everybody gets it the same. Yes. Yes. And, you know, when I became an advocate in the ER, I saw men, I saw women, I saw wealthy people, I saw homeless people, I saw different races, religions, you know, it, it doesn't discriminate. And, and I think that was one of the biggest eye-opening things for me, because we think about this and we're like, oh, it's, you know, lower, you know, lower income, you know, right. homeless community. And, and that is not the case. Actually, no. that's, a lot of that I didn't see. I saw the, quite the opposite. Like I said, I, I, you know, some very, very wealthy women and men that came in and were abused. And I was like, wow, this is, um, this is uh, intense. It's like, not it's what anywhere. you expect. Nope. And no, it's it, not the stereotype that's been put out into society and culture. No, it's not. And I think once it's you open your eyes and educate yourself on that, um, that's, that's key. Education is key in all of this, understanding narcissism. And to me, narcissism and domestic violence are the same thing. And people get so angry at me because using the word domestic violence is hard. But as an advocate, I'm trained to say, yeah, it's, it's domestic mm -hmm. violence. <laughs> I had many people come in that were just mentally and emotionally abused, and they just didn't know where to go anymore. They had had enough. Mm -hmm. And they were in there crying. And they're like, he's so mean to me. And I'm like, yeah, this is domestic violence. She's like, well, he didn't hit me. I'm like, that's not the definition of, right. you know, of domestic violence. Domestic violence is inner partner abuse. And it's mm -hmm. not just a romantic partner. It's family, it's friends, it's roommates. It's, it can happen. It's work dynamics, boss and an employee, this can happen to you. So you can be in a domestic violence situation at work. And I hear this all the time. How many people have a narcissistic boss? Like, mm -hmm. right. <laughs> you know, yeah. What would be some self-care and, and that's even become kind of an overworked term. But when you're on the other side of this, because I do believe that, you know, as an empath, as a sensitive, people will get to the point where they'll say, I can't live this way anymore. And if you're on the brink of manifesting things physically because of the stress, the anxiety, the over being overwhelmed all the time, what would be some things people can do to take care of themselves in that? Because it is, it's a process of grieving. You yes. go through the same exact stages of grief as if you've lost a loved one. 
And in some respects, it's harder because the loved one is still there. Yeah. And you're also grieving the loss of yourself too. Yes. You've, you, you really, yes. you apart, you've died and you're rebirthing you. Um, and, you know, I would say you have to find connection to you again, sit on the floor, cross your legs and breathe in to your body and feel where it hurts. It's the most painful thing, but that's how you actually connect back into your body because you start to disassociate mentally. Um, and, and like for me, when I think back to the last couple of months of my relationship, I look at it as if I was a third person watching it. <laughs> um, I'm, I wasn't mentally, like I wasn't in my body and you can read about disassociation online, but, um, it's really about going back into your body and feeling. Um, and then if that's too painful, put your hand on your heart and just visualize white light in your heart and flowing through your body and just start to, again, it's about feeling you again and starting to find connection. And then I always have people write down, like, what was a hobby that you liked before you met this person or before this all started to really unfold and go back and do that. You know, I, I'm a singer and I studied music in New York and I, I stopped singing. And so I even just watched fun little musical things on YouTube and just started to connect to that side of myself again, because I had completely lost that. Um, and it's the little things that give you, that give you joy. I love, love, love that. And I also, when I, this is going to sound bizarre, but set a timer, like set a timer for 10, 15 minutes and get angry as hell. Just get oh, angry yeah. and, and, but set, set a timeline on it so that you're in control of it. It's not in control of you. But I think it's really, really important to release that because there is, there's anger in this. There's anger in that. Why did I allow myself to be treated that way? Or why did someone feel that, that I wasn't enough or whatever scenario you want to put on that. But I think that that's a really important part to, to um, focus on as well is release that anger because that's a huge part of the healing. Oh, the anger is so that'll, that'll kill you at the end. Like after I got out the anger um, I had so much anger and I'm also in fight or flight, right? I've been trained mm -hmm. for three years to be in fight or flight mode the whole time. And I have PTSD now and I went in full shutdown mode. Everybody was a threat to me and I was angry and I could snap and scream at somebody and the, the drop of it, you know, just, just because I, you know, you, you're in PTSD mode and you don't know who to trust and that everybody that was so close to you that you're supposed to trust betrays you. That's really, and so I have, and you know, people are like, go have healthy anger. I'm like, what's healthy anger? There's no, you got to have anger. And so mm -hmm. what I, I do now, I live in an apartment, but I actually give myself angry time every single day. And I do it for a minute in my car and I turn my music on and I'm like, <laughs> I whoever I scream at. And I, and I mean like that gut wrenching anger, mad. And sometimes if it's feeling really good, I'll do it for three minutes. Um, but yes, you got to kind of get it out. But if you do it that angry, you can't go very long. It's, it's exhausting. <laughs> I've learned to just that that's so healthy to just yeah. get it out, to get it out and, uh, and not direct it at anybody because it doesn't do you any good. It, it, it causes a lot more problems in your life. And another great tool is if you have the space and is to hang a weight bag, hang up a weight bag and just yes. release that physical anger. You go rail on that, you let it out, you release it, and then you move forward. 
And I think that it's so, so important whether you do it with with voice or with, you know, go run, go do something physical, but yes. do something to get that anger out of your body because that once that's, and it's not like forever, it's not, oh, I'm going to be pissed at the world forever. But I, I think it's part of that, that process, those steps to say, okay, I'm ready to take my life back. And I'm not, you, you nailed it so beautifully earlier when you said it's all about power and control. And part of expressing this anger and releasing it is taking back your own power and control yes. and saying, this is how I want to live my life now. Yes. Um, and it, Absolutely. I think I'd love your opinion on this. I think it also prevents you from repeating the patterns in relationships and friendships is doing that work in, in the interim, in the in-between so that you don't bring in the same person with a different face. Absolutely. There's so many people that I coach that just left their relationship and they're like, yeah, you know, I went on a date last night from Tinder and I'm like, oh, come on. Yeah. You know, like <laughs> you're going to just do it again. But I will tell you this, the second time, the third time, the fourth time around, it gets worse every single time because you're not learning the lesson that you needed to learn. Again, they're your soulmate and they're here to shine a light on the areas of you that need work. And it's, and there's a reason why they came here. If you really want a true, happy, healthy relationship, you have to do the work and it is hard work, but I'll tell you, it's so amazing on the other side. So, yes. I mean, who I was even a year ago, and I've been out of this now about two years, but um, who I, even who I was a year ago doesn't exist anymore no. um, because it's such beautiful work that's done. And, and like I said, it's a journey. You're expressing anger and you're trying to figure out where you fit in and all of this and, and where they fit in and, and it's having boundaries and, and working through all of these things that just didn't work for me in my life. See, and you're, you're also incredibly, incredibly empathic. Like you're, you're off the ch charts being a, an empath and haven't you found that it's fine-tuned your empathy and your intuition and your connection, having gone through that, that it almost, all the ways we learn to navigate life, all of a sudden, it's like all the pieces of the puzzle have come together now. Yes. You know, I, I, re, I knew I was an empath before I got into the relationship, but I realized I was a, you know, intuitive psychic in the relationship and mm -hmm. that I, I, I knew a lot of stuff was coming and I kind of even predicted this at the beginning of the relationship and chose not to see it. Yeah. Um, and it's definitely fine tuned, you know, all of the meditation. So a lot of the coursework that I do is inner child work and I have you go into your body and feel the pain and then have you go into really where you picked up that pain to begin with, because that was there before you met you know, if you're in a, in a toxic relationship, that was there way before <laughs> you mm -hmm. met anybody. Again, they came in to shine that light on you. Um, and it's really fine-tuned it and really woken me up and, and raised my vibration. And, um, you know, it, you can even get into like, it almost takes you into almost another, you know, kind of 4D, 5D dimension where you look at things from a bird's eye view uh, of your life and of other people's lives. And, it's fascinating if you allow the process to happen. And it's often breaking cyclical patterns or patterns in your family of origin. Yes. And that's big work as well. Yes. I, I constantly, um, and this is, you know, domestic violence was huge on my dad's side of the family. And, um, and really breaking the cycle is, is, 
doing, it's, it's breaking the trauma bond that mm-hmm. happens and the energetically, this trauma bond will get passed down. So even if you're not in an abusive relationship, you've got to go in and break the bond spiritually and say no more. And, and that's really what I, what I do in my coaching. Like I said, you go in, you look at it. I even have you go into past lives or pick up any, any other, you know, generational stuff that, that is in there. And that you're like, oh my gosh, I picked this up from somebody else's. This is my, this is my grandma's stuff. This isn't even mine and that I now am doing the work and, um, and having to really cut those ties and cut those cords. So the visual that I just got when you said that was like, you help people pull the root out. You, yes. you know, and, and that's the picture I'm seeing. You just pull out this big old root and just saying, okay, now we can put that to rest so you can live the life you really came here to live. Yes. And that's why I actually called my podcast, The Secret Garden. It was about going in and plucking the weeds that no longer serve you so you can plant a new seed for a beautiful garden to grow. And that's really what my meditation is. I visualize going in and actually pulling. And I mean, some of those roots are like, like you're pulling them like (laughs) way out of your body. And like, I actually visualize like pulling it from like generations and lifetimes and it's so long. And and sometimes I actually even use my hand because it's Mm -hmm. so intense that I actually physically do the motion of pulling the root from me. And it is such a release. And then I cord cut it and send it with beautiful light on its way until it is no longer welcome in my body. Um, Because, but you're, you don't even know that it's, there, but those weeds will make you sick. Um, they'll eventually make you physically sick if you don't, Mm -hmm. you don't get rid of them. And so, you know, that's, it's so empowering and so beautiful. Um, and if you fill that with like beautiful white light and like I said, you know, a beautiful, I even visualize what beautiful flower is going to grow there and what I want my little garden to look like. Yeah. So, So in addition to your podcast, the secret garden, which is fantastic, people can also find you on YouTube. They can find me on YouTube at the divine self. And I, you can also find me on my website at divine self.com. And there's a resources tab there. So if anybody listening needs help for domestic violence, I have a ton of resources there, or you can always reach out to me at Megan at divine self.com. And I'm happy to connect people to resources or do a coaching or just even talk to you about your situation and safety plan with you. Um, I do a lot of safety planning with people. And I will put all those resources in the show notes, but thank you. Thank you. Thank you for coming and shining your light with us today. You're amazing. You're so welcome. Thanks for having me. I love this podcast and I love you guys. Well, and we love you too. And as everyone knows the deal, show up, do good work and share your light. Absolutely. Take care.